just remember to be like the uh, introduction thingy. The song you're hearing is whatever it is. <laughs> oh my god! In Japanese, it literally me- literally means "superb song of the Valkyries." That's what this, the show's name is. <laughs> Welcome back to the second episode of Manga in Your Ears. Thanks to everybody who listened to our first episode and said nice things to us about it on Twitter. We really appreciate all of our friends being supportive friend folks. Yeah, I, got uh, the song more, just... I got way more responses on Twitter than I expected to from people yeah, that I, I like, yeah, definitely know or don't know at all. Senpai's noticed us! <laughs> <laughs> uh, the song you just heard was Synchrogazer from the first season of Synthogear, and there's no reason we put that in this episode. We're changing theme song every week, and I really liked the theme song from the first season of Synthogear. Uh, this week, we are, we are reading two things which have nothing to do with either idols, fighting monsters, singing, or anything like that. Uh, our classic review this week is going to be a Fruits Basket, since Yen Press just finished putting out their new translation and omnibus re-releases, and then we'll be talking about The Ancient Magus Bride. And there's a slight irony to that, as we are recording the night that Crunchyroll is doing their special one-night showing of the first three episodes of The Ancient Magus Bride, so this is how much we like manga, folks. We are giving that up to tell you guys to go read this manga and watch this anime when it comes out. It's definitely not playing near me, so it's okay. Uh (laughs) Well, it's playing near me in April, and oh, to probably reintroduce ourselves, I am Helen, I am the bouncy one. I'm April. I'm not quite as bouncy as Helen, but I'm a little bouncy, maybe. <laughs> Corey, you're representing evasion. Corey, the least bouncy. <laughs> least bouncy, yes. <laughs> so uh, we were talking before the podcast, um, and I actually didn't know, April, that you hadn't read Fruits Basket before. Um, I read it all before. It was my gateway manga mm-hmm. in high school. I know that you can kind of place people you know, guess what year they started becoming an anime and manga fan by what they've read, like the Sailor Moon folks and the Naruto folks. But I was definitely in like the subcategory of girls who found out manga through reading Fruits Basket. And Corey, what about you? I know you've read the series before. Uh, yep. Yeah. I have actually read through scans before. I'm not read the like, book manga before. Uh, but I did buy all the Tokyo Pop volumes after the fact and uh, sold those once the Zen ones started to come out. But anyway, uh, this was not my gateway manga. Uh, my gateway manga, weirdly, was Imidoki, which I don't remember almost anything about. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was, like, my gateway anime to learning more about shoujo anime and learning to appreciate that more. Oh, my God. I remember watching the anime for this on YouTube, dubbed after school in the school library. <laughs> my friends and I were so mad that, like, one random episode was blocked on YouTube for mature content. And we were like, there are naked people in every episode of this. <laughs> Why is this one episode gone? It's probably the one with Ayame. No, it was actually the one of Haru. It was actually the one with the cow. Oh, well, and because he, like, showed his pubes to the student <laughs> residents. <laughs> I swear, guys, this is not a lewd manga. It's a sad manga, but it's not a lewd manga. Uh, for folks who actually haven't heard of this or haven't read this manga before, I feel like the name Fruits Basket is still fairly well known. It's a contemporary shoujo manga focused around Toru, who is a high schooler 
who's recently been orphaned. Her dad died when she was young. Her mother was killed recently in a car accident, was living with some relatives, but she's sort of moved out because she doesn't want to burden them anymore. Except Toru's idea of moving out is living in a tent in the woods. <laughs> she's a silly child. She's a very silly child. And um, it turns out that she's living near um, this rather large extended family called the Somas. Um, she's living near a couple of folks who are living separate from the rest of the family. And one of the Somas, Yuki, is already one of her classmates. And so he and his, um, shoot, I, I guess cousin, I'll just say cousin generally, because it's a big family. It's a big, complicated family. Um, they offer to let her live with them, and she does. But another cousin crashes in, Kyo. Literally and then she finds. Yeah, literally crashes in, I think, either through the window or the roof. Like. Yep. Yep. That house goes through a lot. <laughs> it does go through a lot, especially because, guess what? It turns out they're all wild animals, kind of. Not so much, well, wild as in, like, energetic, not wild as in, like, literally came out of the woods. But the Soma family has been cursed for years and years, where that, um, basically... You'll have 12 members of the family, plus or minus a couple, who embody the spirits of the um, Chinese zodiac, so rat, oxen, etc., etc. And whenever they are embraced by the opposite sex, or maybe they're feeling sick, they will turn into those animals, which causes a lot of emotional strain on them. Like, there's one character whose mother kind of rejected him, since she wasn't really able to hold him as a baby. The snake's intimacy kind of hard as well you know when you're like just turning into a dog and all that stuff <laughs> and so toru and these other kids um since a lot of them are teenagers a lot of them are close in age to each other just kind of try to sort out their problems from you know abandonment to abuse to just general unhappiness and depression <laughs> but it's not lewd uh yes it is quite a weighty manga <laughs> yeah yeah and i know april you were saying you were surprised at how sad it was a little bit yeah, so I definitely have sort of a different experience coming into it as a newbie. I think uh, for me, I missed the Fruits Basket train maybe for uh, Sailor Moon, and I think I jumped into Peach Girl after that, so I totally missed this series. Um, so I think I had some preconceived notions going into it. I thought maybe uh, reading it as an adult that it, I just wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be into it as much, but it, it's yeah, it's a lot sadder than I was expecting, but it's also, like, really touching. Like, I actually, like, really like it a lot. I've really enjoyed uh, what I've read of it so far. Yeah, to use the common parlance, it hits you in the feels, man. Yeah, it does. That's exactly what I was thinking earlier, actually. <laughs> it, gets you, it gets you right there. <laughs> Even as an adult, it's, yeah, it's really something. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think, April, I don't think you've gotten there yet. But the part with Momiji near the end of the second volume uh, <laughs> usually just makes me break down. Oh, gosh. Well, they, everybody seems like they love each other so much, and I have, like, this sinking feeling that, like, sad things are going to happen. And I'm like, I'm not I'm not ready for it. Like, I, I feel like it's coming, and I'm like, I'm not ready. They all love each other so much. So there's no telling what I'm in for. Well, it's not like the characters are going to stop loving each other. You're just going to meet true. more characters who just have more issues. Right, right. I mean, this manga is ostensibly about, like, the this curse and how it's very sad and affects everybody, but it's really about, like, how uplifting Toru is to everybody else and mm-hmm. how much she affects everybody else's lives in in a positive way. Yeah, since Toru is this relentlessly cheerful girl, she's, like I said, she's completely normal but orphaned. She's working part-time to help support herself through high school, and she just 
is always able to look on the bright side of life. I feel like it is. I feel like some people just aren't more disposed to look on the bright side or the gloomy side of life just naturally. And she's one of the people who looks on the sunny side. It helps that her mother was very loving in the time that they knew each other. And so a lot of it is Toru trying to help her friends, you know, navigate through this depression, this rejection, all of this stuff. Because, you know, they're also in high school. That is not uh, that is a stressful thing to start with. And um, I remember when I first read this in high school, I really connected with it a lot. But then I went back and read it again, um, either later in high school or early college, and I just found it like really overly melodramatic and I couldn't handle it anymore. But then I came back to it a couple of years later, I think like late college, and I was like, oh, no, wait, I kind of get it again. So in case people haven't already guessed, this is a very melodramatic series. Like these are not people with calm reactions to trouble. So it's a little bit of an acquired taste, but if you've read other shoujo manga, I feel like it's not going to be outlandishly surprising. It's just a little surprising that something so melodramatic is so many people's first introduction to manga, come to think of it. Uh, yeah, there are definitely more ridiculous shoujo manga in terms of like <laughs> reactions and and uh, yeah, even content, like hugging people of the opposite sex to make them turn into an animal isn't that outlandish when you think of the grand scope of things. And the funny thing is, I don't think that's a euphemism either, since sex is mentioned indirectly once or twice in the series. I don't think that's actually even a euphemism. Yeah, and the Zodiac have their own kids, so it's not like that side of the out of question. Well, I got the impression there's a lot of inbreeding in this family. Mm, probably. <laughs> I mean, April, you probably already noticed, like, most of the folks in the Zodiac seem to be in a fairly close relationship to other people in the Zodiac. Like yeah, you've got... it, def- it definitely seems that way. I mean, I know that it mentions, I guess, towards the beginning... Uh, that it it makes it a little bit easier because if they hug each other, they don't change back. I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, you would understand each other. You all would go through similar things. But, yeah, um, I think one of the questions I have for you all as people that are a little more familiar with the series is more around uh, Toru and maybe what you all thought of her. So one of the things I was surprised about, really, is that I didn't, find her super annoying like I kind of thought that I would because I at least knew before I went into the series that she was like super cheerful so I'm like oh I'm not I'm not gonna be able to deal with her like I just I'm not gonna like her at all um but I actually like have come to at least like her character or at least like the effect that she has on the other characters so what do you all think about her having read the series or maybe seen the anime multiple times uh yeah Toru never really bothered me either and I think part of it's because she's the point of view character, not just the main character. So we're also privy to a lot of her internal dialogues. So we can see that she does doubt herself. She does worry about what's going to happen. And I feel like we see enough of that to balance out her cheeriness. So we're able to see the parts of her that are gen- genuinely hopeful and the parts of her that are putting on a brave show for those around her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that balance makes her um a likable character, honestly, even though she is relentlessly ganky. <laughs> yeah, even beyond the uh, internal monologues, there are moments where she where she kind of breaks down and is like, I shouldn't be asking for for more since I have so much, even though both of her parents have died. Uh, her grandfather like half kicks her out and half doesn't. And now she's living with the Soma family, so like she's just so grateful for all of the friends the friends that she does have and living, being able to live with the Soma family that um, she's always gr- the glass is half full. Yeah, and I think yeah. that does actually remind me of one thing. It's that going through the series, um, there are some Somas who are less than generous to Toru. 
But the core of folks she lives with, um, Shigure, Kyo, and Yuki, they never make her feel like she shouldn't be unhappy with her lot in life. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea is that it's okay that even though they have these really big problems, that she can also have problems that might not be as big. Because I think there's a tendency among some fe- folks to think, oh, you don't have it as bad, so why are you unhappy at all? But this series never really pushes that idea. It's The, the series definitely acknowledges that there are things you'll be sad about in life, and that's okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually a really good point, and I think that's kind of what makes uh, them feel so much like a family, and it's sort of nice to watch them as a reader, is that they, they kind of have space for everybody's problems, but there's not sort of that sort of nitpicking where it's like, well, I've had this going on today and you're going to come to me about this. They just sort of, when one of them feels sad, they're there to listen. And it's, it's sort of this uh, non-judgmental dynamic, I think. And I think uh, Toru brings out a lot of that um, in the other characters. That That's probably why, at least in the parts that I've read, even though it's can be overwhelmingly sad, it still carries a sort of warmth through it because they still, uh, care about each other really and i've got a question for Corey. since um april you haven't finished reading the series yet so you won't have an answer to this but mm. i felt like the series was pretty well paced and didn't feel like it was dragging out overly long towards the end what about you Corey? uh well i haven't read the ending in a while um but i do notice that uh not to not to spoil anything but like the the themes of it get much much sadder as it goes on but uh in the end, you know, there's that final uplifting moment, which is the, you know, the whole pole of the manga. Um, I don't know if it dragged any, but it did feel like it was hitting a little harder than it had to. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's sad. <laughs> it's like that sad, you all. <laughs> I mean, you're dealing with like a dozen odd people all that's with true. their own like abandonment issues and stuff right. like that. Yeah. I'm genuinely a little surprised. <laughs> you so do manga. It's for girls who like, heavy things. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've been thinking about this, especially since I'm preparing for my shoujo panel at Otakon, but it's kind of funny how some folks are like, oh, girls manga, shoujo manga, it's, you know, it's not, you know, really deep or anything. When you look at series like Fruits Basket, it's like, no, you could really care for these characters, really emotionally connect with them, you know, be happy for them, be sad for them. Like, it's just such a silly argument in general, and Fruits Basket is one of the best arguments against it. Yeah. Greek's Basket, Kari Kano, uh, Nana, I think is technically Shoujo. I think so, I'm gonna double check that, but. <laughs> don't quote me on that. I mean, don't at me. <laughs> what you're supposed to say. I forget. <laughs> it, it might be just based on the magazine. It was one I cannot remember, actually. Yeah, I do bring it up during my Shoujo panel, so I'll have to go double check that. But yes, I think that one is also the Shoujo. And Ayazawa always writes, like, really sad manga anyway. Yeah. Have you guys read anything else by um, the Fruits Basket author? I have only briefly, but I didn't like anything else she had written. I know she has a, a couple other series out. I cannot remember. It's the one with the blue cover. I think there's like Twinkle in the name, maybe. I looked at a I know little you're bit. talking about, but I don't remember do, the name. Do either of you remember the title? I cannot remember it's it off the That sounds right. Um, I looked at a little bit of it, but it just really... It just really didn't catch me at all. I think that was, I sort of thought that would be my reaction to Free Chess. Like, ah, I feel, I don't know. Um, I didn't connect with the characters as much. Uh, Fruit Spaces, I definitely uh, am probably going to go pick up more volumes after we're done with this later in the week. So. <laughs> I haven't read anything else by her. I'm wanting to just because I like Fruit Spaces so much, but now that everyone else is like, it's kind of meh. 
then I don't know if I want you anymore. <laughs> now, I was going to say, since I've tried out a couple things, I think I've also tried out the Twinkle Star one, which I think was from before she did Fruits Basket. And I've also read a little yeah. bit of them. Lizalot and The Witch's Forest, which is after Fruits Basket. I didn't really like any of those either. The characters didn't appeal to me, and the plot seemed kind of fluffy and vague. So it's really interesting that she has like this one story, which I think is just really solid and well put together, and the rest of hers just don't feel as well constructed. And I've also read a little bit of the sequel to Fruits Basket. I think it's Fruits Basket and Another, which um, follows a lot of the main couple's children's, and it's adorable. And I, th- and I got the same Fruits Basket vibe from it. I- I've seen some people who say it's dull. Um, y'all can at me at that one. It's not dull, but... <laughs> Uh, I didn't know until this freaks ba- about this freaks basket another manga until like three seconds ago. Well, just imagine the pairings from the end of the series having kids and how adorable some of those kids will be. So this is like freaks basket Boruto. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sorry, nope. Still thinking freaks basket Boruto. Kick it around my head now. <laughs> but we all like we all like freaks basket though, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't, I don't think I could say otherwise, or, or people would at me. I don't think that's one of those things like, oh, I just hate it, and she's horrible. I'm, I would get a lot of mentions, and I'm not going to do that. But no, I actually, I actually really like it. Like, I really, um, I'm glad that Yen has re-released the series. Um, I know that I still see some of the old Tokyo Pop volumes floating around, and then Tokyo Pop did do, like, some sort of collector's omnibus thing. I think it was them that was, like, hardcover. And I still see those floating around, like, at um, used bookstores occasionally. But I, but I am glad that Yen put put out these uh, larger volumes. and They're, they're really nice. Yeah, since it was a bestseller for Tokyo Pop, and one, th- one thing that does mean is that there are still a lot of volumes out there. Mm-hmm. I was they wondering... Still float around. I was wondering for years why no one had picked up Fruits Basket, since it ended up being, like, the last big Tokyo Pop title that wasn't... Um, relicensed um, for distribution and I always wonder if it was because there were already so many volumes floating out there that companies were thinking well we might not sell as much but it is nice that Yen's picked it up yeah I might get those since my Tokyo Pop volumes are in sad shape and I know Yen has a new translation as well so I'm kind of curious to compare the two since I've heard you know the usual some good things some bad things about the translation yeah, and these newer volumes, at least the first two that I have, they have uh, quite a few uh, color pages in the front of it, so they're they're pretty nice. They're pretty nice. All the volumes have those color pages. Okay, yeah, I, did, I figured they all did, but yeah, they are they're pretty nice. Color pages are so nice. <laughs> but that's a good point too, Helen. I, I feel like I'd heard that too that there were people were concerned about whether or not there were a lot of volumes still floating around on the secondhand market. And I mean, I, I know that I've seen a volume or two uh, out at secondhand stores like within the last month. So I don't know if uh, how much truth that has to it, but it does sound like it would be a reasonable concern because they're still floating out there. Yeah, and that's just pure speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. Definitely not mm-hmm. sort of like anything I've heard from anybody, but. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I know we've been a little light talking about the actual plot and story of this series. Um, part of it's because April is um, four volumes in out of, I think, 23. So we don't want to spoil her anything. Oh, gosh, I didn't realize there were that many. <laughs> I think it's 21 or 23. There are 12 of these Yen Press editions. So roughly 23 then. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and oh, I've so got a lot left to go. <laughs> you've got a lot of heartbreak to go through. Oh boy! <laughs> and also because I feel I feel like we don't especially need to talk about the plot. I feel like the big draw for Fruits Basket is its characters and its mm-hmm. themes and its emotions. Although the plot definitely does happen. I mean, its plot is basically there's this curse and they're trying to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just like... takes roughly three years since it yeah. goes until the kids are at the end of high school. Yeah, it's a long curse. Well, I mean, it's been going on for a few hundred years, so. <laughs> 
just out of curiosity, um, just to touch on it just for a second, what do you all think of the anime, assuming that you all have seen it? I haven't seen it. Uh, how does it compare uh, to the manga at all, if you all have even seen it? I've seen it. Corey, have you? Yep, I've seen it, like, a couple times. And have you heard the stuff about the ending and the and um, the mangaka? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so... um. The anime is a fairly faithful adaptation of the manga up until, like, the last three or so episodes, at which point it tries to create its own ending by kind of going, like, thematically off the rails, in my opinion. And it's actually kind of infamous, since I remember some old Answer Man columns on this, but it's well known that the manga cod did not like what they were doing with the anime and refused to, like, have more of it made. And I don't think any of our other series have ever had adaptations. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember I saw it, when I saw it, I saw it dubbed, and I remember I was in an anime club in college, and someone brought it, and we had a vote, and we were watching it subbed, and all of us girls who had seen it in high school dubbed were looking at each other going, this is weird, he sounds like a lady, this is weird. <laughs> Since he sounded girly in the English dub, but distinctly masculine as well, so. It was dubbed by a guy in English, it might have been dubbed by a girl in Japanese. Yeah, which I guess plays into all the current the so many jokes they make about yuki you'd make such a good girl here let's have you cross-dress for some minor plot reason mm. is there a plot reason though <laughs> the plot reason is that the readers will eat it up true but yeah so i've seen the anime and i do really like it up until like those last few episodes i just mm. i personally felt like it was pretty thematically dissonant like they had a couple of events happen like that would eventually happen later in the manga but like seven volumes later when there was more build up to it and stuff like that yeah, so they, I take don't a, they take a little bit of reorganizing, didn't they? Yeah, because I remember there were a couple of scenes with um, Akito, the head of the Soma family, that are pr- actually pretty similar to how some confrontations went down in later volumes, but it just didn't have like the emotional weight behind it since we hadn't gone through all the other emotions to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely one of the not-so-great anime original endings out there. Yeah. Ah. Oh, well, let me That's say, uh, having read the whole manga and knowing like what happens to these characters, it was very difficult to write about Akio, Akito. I say Akio mm-hmm. because they say in the dub, which I know is wrong. Okay. But, but like knowing what happens to Akio uh, made it very difficult to like walk around that line. Yeah, since Akito has had quite possibly, I think, unarguably the most problems and woes and issues out of the entire Soma family, which is saying something. Uh, yep. <laughs> Well, it's kind of hard to view them when they have genuine reasons for being a horrible person, but they're still a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so and that's excited to read the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> like, the more you all talk about I'm like, I've got to get the rest of these. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I guess is the point of the podcast, so we're doing a podcast. So if you guys want to go out and read it, it is available from Yen Press physically, and I believe also digitally. The old Tokyo Pop volumes just still floating around. And there were so many Tokyo Pop volumes, I can guarantee you, you can find them at a used bookstore. Hell, you can probably find, like, two complete runs at your local library. Yep. That is do, true also. If you do get those Tokyo Pop hardcovers, I think they only have, like, five volumes of it, which collects three each or something. So, be warned. Yeah, so you'll just have an uneven collection if you go with those. And I, I'm one of those people who likes all their spines to match their manga volumes, so yeah, this is a real concern. <laughs> Okay, guys, so when we come back, we will be talking about the Ancient Magus Bride, uh, which is uh, also about magical animals, to an extent, I guess. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Okay, welcome back, y'all. Now it is time for the B part of our second episode of Manga in Your Ears, where we are talking about The Ancient Magus Bride, a currently being released manga here in the U.S. by Seven Seas. And we are actually current with the Japanese volumes, I think. I think we're only like a couple months behind on the releases. Uh, let's have to see. Wait forever for all the volumes, just like Japanese. I know. We, yep, we all share the same suffering now. <laughs> So, The Ancient Magus Bride, uh, like I said, also kind of involves some magical animals, but in a completely different context from Fruits Basket. Uh, once again, the setting is contemporary, but this time we are in England. Chisei is a Japanese girl with bright red hair for some reason. This is never explained. I think we're just supposed to roll with it. Who has um, a bit of an unusual magical ability. Um, she's able to sort of both produce her own magic and absorb other magic which makes her kind of desirable in the magical world. Uh, but Jisei, like our character from Bruce Basket, has not had an easy life. She's been abandoned um, with her father and younger brother having fled for her life. We don't really know why as of yet. Her mother is dead, I think, by suicide. She's been passed from relative to relative. And Jisei is definitely suicidal. She does not really have the will to live anymore. And so when someone offers, hey, I could sell you off to somebody who wants to buy you and make use of you, she says yes to this. Like, kids don't say yes to this. And so Chisei is sold off at auction um, to the highest bidder who is um, a Magus, um, which is a title. And he and he's a creature. And um, I don't know. He, he's, got, he's got a giant skull head. And, like, it's, it's clearly a magical body since that is not a naturally occurring biological phenomenon. Yeah, he's like a creature <laughs> person. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, but Elias is this very old magical being and he buys Chisei since he's enamored of her magic and also wants to make her his wife at some point. Hence the ancient Magus bride as the title. And, uh, and despite its weirdness, (laughs) well, the weird part is that I managed to still like the series, despite that kind of creepy premise, because you can tell that there, this is definitely not the perfect life for Chisei, but she is definitely starting to bloom and thrive for the first time in her life, living with Elias and other folks who do genuinely love her and support her and can explain the weird things going on to her. Since Chisei is yet another manga protagonist who's always been able to see strange creatures out of the corner of her eye, but never really do much with them or about them. And I really like this manga series, guys. I really like this manga series. (laughs) Uh, Were you going to cosplay as Chisei? I've done it before, actually, oh, and okay. I did it at KatsuCon a couple of years ago because it's a winter con, and that gave me an excuse to wear a sweater. It's true. A lot of these cons are in the summer, and you don't want to be bundling up then. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I did it before the current, the current wave, since I've, I've seen a lot of people posting photos of Cheesecake cosplays now, um, especially Seven Seas, because they're like, look, people are cosplaying from our series. This is great. Yeah, so I actually only had one person recognize it a couple of years ago. Not that the anime is out, it'll probably get more. Yeah, I'm surprised by a number of people who are trying to cosplay Elias, since that skull mask thing is... I just look at that and I go, this this is, this would require planning to make. Yep, I know yeah, for a guy. It seems like that. that would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, the reason I did Chisei was originally because someone was like, you should do it with me, because then we'd have a great height difference going on. I was like, I, I know I'm short, okay? I would like to remind people my love of characters is not completely predicated on whether I can cosplay them or not, but it is a helpful factor. <laughs> Like a, to the series, um, like it does have this creepy premise, but it's not leery about it. Like Elias, Ilias, how do you say his name? 
I've been saying Elias. I think that's how they've been saying it in the prequel movies as well. Okay, we'll go with that one. Uh, well, Elias uh, is still, he's like hundreds of years old or something, or maybe thousands even, and, but he's still learning human emotion since he knows all these things about magic and uh, the, the weird world with the weird creatures that they live in. But uh, he doesn't really know about human emotion, which is part of why, also why he bought Kisei, to, to learn more about humans and learn um, how their brains work. Yeah, he calls Kisei his human teacher, someone who's teaching him about emotions and, you know, why humans feel certain ways. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's definitely helping, but in the volumes I'm up to, um, since I'm not quite current, I've read some volume yet, but by the sixth volume at least, you can start seeing a little bit of friction where Elias is both trying and yet not trying the way a human would to learn these emotions. So, And I think there might have been kissing in here so far. I think there might have been. So it's not an entirely chaste relationship if people were wondering. But if that's your kink. <laughs> you're into like really tall guys with skull heads. Finally, you know, I've been waiting Monster for a series Boy. just like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this could just fall into the whole Monster Boys thing, so... Yeah. Maybe that's oh, why no. Seven Seas picked it up, because it's like an extinction of Monster Girls. Oh. <laughs> Seven Seas, were, did you get this just because it's Monster Husbando? <laughs> Please tweet, I guess. Uh... <laughs> Someday Seven Seas will get really tired of me making those jokes about them. Probably. Well, if, once they get tired of that, we'll start making the ear jokes. <laughs> I don't care for that. <laughs> no Yuri in the series, though. Um, yeah. We have a surprisingly large cast just spread out over a couple of volumes. Uh, the Ancient Magus Sprite, it's not quite centered around a central plot. There are definitely some themes and some events that keep coming up, and like there seems to be a reoccurring villain as well. But it's a lot more about Chisei still exploring this new magical world that she's never quite been a part of before growing up, but now is most certainly a part of in England. She's met fairies she's met changelings she's met dragons she has her own familiar now and that for me is the biggest draw for the series it reminds me a lot of the diana Wynn jones books um since a lot of her stories have very interesting world building where she very thoroughly builds a different kind of magical world even the ones which um, are set kind of like modern day england much like the ancient magus bride there's a lot of really interesting little details in there and that's what this series reminded me of a lot. Like, we see so many little details like, here's how you do this spell or that spell. And it makes the series feel very well thought out. Like, the author has thought how everything would fit together. And I like that. Well, I think um, with some of the world building, too, so I'm still pretty early in the series. I'm only about a volume in. But even in the first volume with some of the world building and some of the art, um, it's one of the few series that I think I can say if feels alive like there are certain scenes with the main character where she might be involved in a conversation but small things around her are moving like I I remember a particular scene when she's in a shop talking to another woman and when she's talking to her like she's got like this animal like wrapped around her neck I don't know if you all remember this like really it's really close to the beginning and like I think so yeah I think yeah that that was the magic smith and that was like her familiar who was crawling around right yeah but I don't know it's like it the the familiar like changed with within the panel like every time it showed them talking to each other I'm like it just made the series feel like it's kind of jumping off the page and like the world itself is 
moving and she's figuring it out. And I think uh, one of the other interesting parts in this first volume is when she gets confused or tricked by the fairies, they they sort of ask her to come outside and she's wandering away. I thought that was a really good way of showing the reader that she's been dropped into a world where she has absolutely no idea what's going on. I think for some other series where characters get dropped into these worlds, they're kind of like, okay, I'm going to go figure it out and I'm going to go figure out how to speak the language and et cetera. And she just has absolutely no idea what's going on or who to trust or where she's going. I, I thought that was just like a really, that was a really interesting scene. Yeah. And a lot of those little details actually remind me of stuff, um, from other fantasy novels, since I definitely went through a fairy phase, I would argue I'm still not fully out of it. But the idea of like being spirited away and a couple of the spells they use, like they mentioned Rowan is a really good tree to use for protective properties and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, this all makes sense. I can see that the author must have also had some deep love of like Western, specifically English style fantasy, since she incorporated all of these elements in there. And I'm really excited to see the animated series when it comes out this fall, since this is a series which will probably look really gorgeous animated with all those background details moving. And I feel like it's really going to make the series even better. Yeah. I mentioned, uh, well, I don't know how long ago I mentioned this, but I, I think I mentioned it somewhere where I thought the ancient Vegas Sprite would work a lot better as an anime because since there is uh, sometimes so much going on in the background, I just can't keep track of it while reading the manga. Yeah, I've definitely had trouble sometimes remembering characters who, like, disappear for a volume or two, and then they pop up in a big way again. So I'll just have to, like, dig out my other volumes and just double-check. I'm like, okay, did I, did I remember this person right? Okay, I did. It's way more work than I do. <laughs> like, the alchemist. Well, I, I like to know who the characters are, Corey, you know? <laughs> nope. I just forget, and then I eventually remember them when they say something. Like the Corey reads manga dangerously. Yeah, the alchemist version in volume six showed up again, and I'm like, who the hell is this? And I just kept reading <laughs> And then they finally say alchemist person. I'm like, oh, this person. Corey. <laughs> uh, I'm not a very good manga reader. Corey reads manga dangerously. Have either of you guys seen the prequel movies? Since in Japan they were making a series of three films first. Um, the third one's out in Japan, but it's not on Crunchyroll yet. But the first two are, and they involve Chisei as a young girl when she's still living in Japan. No, I haven't seen those, actually. How long have those been out? I feel like I've heard about those a while ago, maybe. Uh, the first one hit Crunchyroll last fall, I want to say September. Okay. Yeah, that's the second sounds... one hit around January or February, and I'm not sure when the third one's coming, but pretty mm-hmm. soon. Yeah. No, I haven't seen them yet. I watched the, the, both of those, and I thought it was uh, a better execution of uh, like this world and this story than the manga was. But like rereading, not rereading, I haven't reread the first three volumes, and I read those months and months ago. But like reading these next three volumes... I think I'm starting to get a, be- a much better connection having seen it in animated form at all. Yeah, so far from the two prequel movies I've seen, there isn't any direct connections with the current day story. Um, I have to admit, I'm not as fond of this story in the prequel because the second one kind of ended and it's like, wait, what just happened? But I'm hoping that, you know, the third piece will explain everything, you know, we'll make it all fit together. Yeah, here's hoping I remember what happened. <laughs> I mean, if you really need to, you can just look at my reviews for the first two, you know, on the OASG. True. Mm-hmm. This is the good thing about reviewing, guys, and you have your own personal notes to look back on later. I sometimes do that. <laughs> but yeah, so really excited for the anime. It's coming out in the fall, and it's actually going to be a full two-core, so it's going to be running until next spring. I think Crunchyroll already announced they're going to be streaming it. I think so. And um, 
and it's going to be done by Studio Wit, who sometimes runs into, oh, God, we're not done with this episode. Help, we need help. But they, they've already done the first three episodes, and their goal is to finish, I think, like the first 12 before it starts airing. So hopefully we're not going to run to that, since when you're panicking and in a rush to finish things, then things don't look so nice. So, yeah. so is there anything else that caught either of your eyes? Any characters you want to have appear more or anything like that? And how are we all going to handle Chise possibly eventually marrying Elias? How squicked out are we all going to be about that? <laughs> Um, I think I'm I'm the newbie in this case again. Um, I think the thing that I'm curious about is because I'm still so early in the series. If the if a plot sort of starts to come out of what's going on, it's, it looked like this weird thing where I felt like I knew what was going on, but then I also have no idea what's going on. Like there's something about <laughs> there's something about it that feels familiar. Like okay, I kind of see what's happening, but I, I also don't. And it seems like at least that first volume, there's just a lot of her getting kidnapped or confused. And that's sort of what drives the next big, uh, the next big area that she sees or the next thing that she learns. Uh, for you all, do the later volumes, they eventually sort of come together? And, and then, you know, what do you all expect or what jumped out at you, uh, as the series progressed? Mm. It's not so much that there's an ongoing plot later on, but like I said, there's a couple of threads. Like, I think we've got a reoccurring villain, and there's, like, a couple of mentions of this larger magical society, which I'm sure is going to come up later on since it's already been mentioned twice, and that that's usually significant. Uh, I do think of Chise a little bit like Natsume from uh, Natsume Yujin Show or Natsume's Book of Friends, mm. where in the early seasons he was getting kidnapped a lot, but then later on he got a little better at punching monsters in the face and fucking kidnapping. <laughs> I feel it's kind of like that. Less punching in the face, but um, Chise does get a little better control of her own magic and a grasp on the world, so she gets kidnapped a bit less. Yeah, around, uh, uh. around about Volume 3, I think, is when she becomes a much more active participant in this world of magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since Chise's own magic is kind of unstable with the effects it has on her body, so that's a really big limiter, and I do feel like the story leans on that as a crutch a little much especially since it was volumes five or six where she suddenly couldn't use her magic at some points, but could in others. And I felt like the story was leaning on that a bit much. Yeah. Uh, to your question about what character stuck with me, I think I really like Ruth as a character. Um, okay. She stays familiar. <laughs> yes. Like I don't, this is my terrible memory at work, but I don't quite remember how Ruth was introduced. Um, but... uh, he's done. He's, he's, um, dog in a graveyard gra- um, guarding a grave and then yeah, um, yeah, yeah. teams up with Chisei later. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but he's he's like this really uh, lovable psychic character that's um, he's out here for Chisei uh, but he also doesn't quite know what to do sometimes so he just doesn't act which is frustrating. He's cute. He's a dog. You know, I was joking earlier about the monster husband, but Ruth does switch between being a dog and being a person, so hey. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's more boyfriend, he's not quite husbando material. Ruth is Ruth is more cute, you know. Especially since he can adjust how he looks and age a little bit. And she says like like, Oh, you look younger now and he's like, Yeah, I'm looking closer to your age, so he kinda comes off as like an older brother figure to her at times. Yeah. Oh, and I also really like Silky, the um I think they said she's a brownie and so she cooks for Elias in the house. And she's very devoted to him and Chise and everybody else. She's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And we do see a little bit of her own backstory, how she came to be at that house, which is kind of sad, but I feel like she's had a good ending, and I was happy for that. Yeah, I just read that part, and I, uh, that was unexpected. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, but not that. Yeah, it's a bit of an unusual background for a brownie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, and, and I remember there was one part where the characters were gone for an unexpectedly long period of time, and you could see just how happy she was to have Chise and Elias back, and I was like, oh no. And how, like, guys, don't make Silky bad. And how adorably frustrated she was when it's just like, knock on the door, is this them? <laughs> nope, close. <laughs> I want a magical fairy making me breakfast in the mornings. Just throwing that out there. Holy <laughs> So does anyone else have any final words on the series? Um, without a lot of plot, it's a little harder for me to talk about it since I like series that have a lot of plots. That's just what I really like. But I like the connecting threads in the story and the reoccurring themes and characters. And it is truly interesting. You can't quite tell what's going to happen next in both a good way and a bad way. And I also feel like this is a story which could run for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't actually mind if it ran for a long time. I enjoy it enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, same. There's, there's, not, there's not much plot. Uh, I tweeted about it a little bit yes, last night, uh, the 25th um, of July, in case you're listening to this on August day. <laughs> Depends on how fast Corey is. 25th of July, 2017. <laughs> Just getting on. Everybody um, can go back in Corey's timeline. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they do have, like, that... The, these good character moments, like uh, the moments we're speaking about, then um, with Chisei, and that's that's really what's uh, driving the manga for me is learning more about um, how Chisei is learning about magic, uh, how her tragic backstory has affected her, and how Elias is learning about humans, and um, you know their interaction between each other from there. I think for me. Uh, final thoughts I would have about this. Um, I think it just really comes down to the world building. Like, I think if this were maybe any other series or if the art wasn't as eye-catching um, or if the world wasn't built as well, I don't think I'd want to come back to it. Like, I don't think otherwise it would be particularly memorable. But ju- even just in the first volume, like, the world is so, like, lush and there are so many different things moving and so many moving parts and so many different people that even if the story uh, doesn't come through with a larger plot or the larger plot takes a while, it's just kind of a world that you want to inhabit with the main character. You just sort of want to see what she sees or what she's going to see next or how things look. Uh, I definitely think um, it's something to come back to, which I, I sort of think maybe that speaks to the strength of the art and the world building that even without that overarching plot to sort of drive the story, you still kind of want to, oh, I wonder what's going on in her world. So, well, guys, I think we're at the end of this episode, and uh, all three of us are going to Otakon in a couple of weeks, and I don't think we're going to have another episode recorded before Otakon. Probably not. Uh, probably oh, not, thanks. just due to everyone ha- everyone's travel times and me frantically knitting for Otakon, probably. Yep. But for anyone else going to Otakon, I'll do a little self-plug. Uh, I am doing a panel on Shoujo. It's called Shoujo You Should Know. And uh, currently on the schedule, it's listed as being at 11.30 a.m. on Saturday morning, so that's a great time. So if anyone wants to come hear me talk about a gazillion shoujo series, particularly manga, and possibly have candy thrown at them for a quiz at the end, please come out. Dana and I will and, be there. Yeah, I know. Like, the first time I gave this panel, nobody knew the answers, and so it was really fun. But now that you guys are all coming, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, you guys will probably know the answers to these questions I'm going to have. Bring more candy. <laughs> but anyway, if anyone wants to um, talk to me outside of Otakon, you can find me on Twitter, at WanderDreamer. I'm uh, also a manga editor over at uh, the OASG, the Organization for Anti-Social Geniuses. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mangiorin, M-A-N-J-I-O-R-I-N. It's a bit of a mouthful, but you can find me there. I always wondered how you said that because I keep calling you Majoran in my mind. You know, like, I, I hadn't 
actually thought about it. It's literally just the two characters from um, Blade of the Immortal, and I just stuck an O in the middle. That's literally all it is. <laughs> it has absolutely no other significance. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. And I'm on Twitter, X, Impassion and K. Uh, got the Sports Anime Podcast at Haiku Podcast, T-A-I-I-K-U. Um, I will be reporting for the Fangin' Post at Ogacon doing uh, Gonzo Journalism from the Floor. And uh, also writing and... But this has nothing to do with the anime studio, right? <laughs> uh, no. Gonzo journalism would be the Hunter S. Thompson thing. Oh, okay. And we don't have a separate um, podcast feed for this podcast yet, right? We're still mm-hmm. pitching off of the Taiku podcast? Not yet, but for this episode, we should. Okay. And you guys can also follow the Twitter for this podcast, at Manga In Your Ears, which will um, obviously give you guys updates, no matter where this podcast is located. Yep. And uh, we should be able to host, or we will be hosting all the episodes on the Kaiku Podcast website, uh, kaikupodcast.com, and then it will have a separate page for just the manga stuff. This is the pros to having so many people already on podcasting. We just mooch off each other. Yep. <laughs> okay, guys, until next time, then. Bye. Bye, you guys. Thank you.